Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the College Football Inquirer with Dan Wetzel. Not Flightline, it's not Wetzel the horse, it's Peruna, the Shetland pony who treated George W. Bush to a treat and then rushed for 1,320. I mean, you're exhausted at the end of that. SI's Ross Dellinger. You know, one longtime booster came up to me after the game on the field and said, you know, and this is probably recency bias, but said that's the, the gutsiest, biggest call in Tiger Stadium history. And SI's Pat Forty. There's a lot of Notre Dame fans that are viewing Brian Kelly the same way Oklahoma fans are viewing Lincoln Riley. They're pissed at him, they hate him, and they want him to flop. And he's not flopping, and it's making them despair. Here's Pat, Russ, and Dan. All right, welcome to the pod, and welcome to my family. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was a bad imitation of a bad imitation. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> he can say it however he wants, Dan. They're all going right. to say it. I was like, if this is not Brian Kelly, like he doesn't have his jokes are horrible. He's got bad timing. Yeah, they're dry. Uh, like I get what he's trying to say. Like, remember, he wanted to execute everybody once. There's like it's a funny <laughs> yeah, line. Got that line wrong. <laughs> he just gets it wrong, but he needed to walk into that that press conference and open with that and just own. And then I swear they make banners about it. Like it'll turn into oh, a yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Dan, let, let, damn, let Les Miles uh, ate grass down there and it became a thing. So <laughs> like just own it, laugh about it. Cause guess what? We told you the guy can coach Yep. and you may not like him. You may hate, stuff that happened at Notre Dame. You may think he's fake and the, the accent was terrible and he tries to, all of that. He wins football games and he's been winning them since he was at Division II. And it was like, you think it will work. It's not a cultural fit. Take a really good coach with lots of talent. Yeah, they're going to win. And he didn't really have lots of talent. He's got really good talent. But uh, as I said last week, he's been dying to play Bama with something he thought he could beat him with. And uh, 32, 31, overtime. Jaden Daniels, credible game. Kelly goes for two to win it. Says, if I got that shot, one play to beat Bama, I'm going with it. They had a really good play set up, which I think is the 
underrated part of analytics. It's like, oh, the analytics say go for it. It's like, did they tell you to throw a fade route to the back corner? <laughs> like that, that works when there's Randy Moss back there, but he hits Mason Taylor, freshman tight end, and bang, two point win it. Ross Dellinger, you were there. Uh, are the ears still ringing? Yeah, it was incredibly loud. And, and Brian Kelly said, uh, you know, he praised the the fans and the stadium and all that and the atmosphere afterward. But Beth Rex, his uh, chief of staff, who's been with him for years, uh, was with him at Notre Dame, came up to me after the games like, they they warned us that it would be loud, but I've never heard anything like this. And it was, it was, it was just shaking. You know, Elsie's press box is fairly new. It's one of the newer ones. And it's not like the other, a lot of the ones in, in older ones where it sways and it shakes. I, I've covered a mini game there. I've never seen it shake. Uh, and it shook. It shook in the fourth quarter last night. It, it was crazy. It was an incredible electric atmosphere. And uh, just an amazing game. Just a, like a back and forth. It, it started out as this like, you know, defensive struggle. And you felt like we were going back in time. It was 9-7 to seven and 14-9. to nine. And then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, you know, the – the quarterbacks took over. Two two really good athletes just kind of took over the game, and it it was just a really exciting one. And then, of course, the end. I, I think I think that a lot of people kind of gasped. Even I talked to him afterward. Even AD Scott Woodward just like he said he said he thought, "Holy, what are we doing? Going for two? And uh, and then he said he thought about it. And he said, "You know what? We got him on the ropes. We might as well knock him out." And um, it was a play that Brian Kelly used at Notre Dame in 2014 in a loss to Florida State. They actually scored on that play. It was fourth and goal against Florida State in 2014 with like 17 seconds left. They were down by four, and they scored on the play, but they were called for offensive pass interference. Same exact play. I got Kelly after the news conference to confirm it was the same same exact play, uh, and he said, I called it because I knew this time we wouldn't get called for a pick. I didn't really get much more on why he uh, thought they wouldn't get called for a pick. They were obviously at home, so I'm sure that he thought in his mind that that may have uh, that may have helped. But yeah, just an unbelievable, exciting game, classic game. You know, one longtime booster came up to me after the game on the field and said, you know, and this is probably recency bias, but said that's the the gutsiest, biggest call in Tiger Stadium history, which is obviously a thing that could be uh, debatable. And I think what it does to the grand scheme of things, right, is even bigger. Like, yes, it was a classic. It was an unbelievable atmosphere. It was a great call. Like, there's all these things about the game. But holy cow, LSU is in the driver's seat to win the SEC West and become potentially, it would take an upset against Georgia and Atlanta to be the first two lost team to, to make it the CFP. So, wild. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, unbelievable. And it does, to me, yeah, it, it, it changes a lot of things big picture. I think everybody could see, everybody wanted to see that Brian Kelly had this thing going in the right direction and it was going to be good. And now this is like that validation. Oh, it's not only going to be good, it's going to be good faster than people maybe expected. You know, you're nine games in and you're seven and two and you've beaten Alabama. Uh, and yeah, you may win the West and you're going to have a chance to play for an SEC championship. So I, nobody looked at this LSU team, I don't think, in August and we're saying those things. Secondly, hey, 
I think we got to start doubting the direction of Alabama. Oh. I've, I've done it before and been wrong. Like the inevitable beginning of the inevitable end of dominance. I think I said it, said it in 2015 when they lost for the second straight year to Mississippi. And I was wrong. They've only won like three championships since then. <laughs> uh, national championships. But for Alabama to be out of the playoff race at this early a juncture is the first time. To be out of the SEC West championship race most likely is at this early a juncture is the first time since 2007. This team doesn't look like a lot of Nick Saban teams. They don't make enough plays on defense. They make too many mistakes. They, there's just something lacking with the team that we all did come into the season saying that is the best team in the country and maybe an all-time great Alabama team. And it's not that by any stretch. It's the worst Alabama team since 2010 in terms of results on the field. So I think there's – we'll see. Uh, and again, they may turn around next year and go 15-0. and 0. But as of right now, I'm starting to wonder. All right. Let's let's slow the roll a little bit here. <laughs> I'm going to give you this. Okay. I, they lack a playmaker at wide receiver. The guy that just would I I don't I just don't they had that long stretch where it's just like there's just absolute stud every time and they needed that big play, they got him. I don't their cornerbacks, I think we got issues in the secondary. Not great. I'll get to the game management a little bit here. But yep. the two things is they lost at the buzzer on a field goal at Tennessee, and they lost on a two-point conversion in overtime. This is as close as you can get <laughs> to being unbeaten. But I will grant you they did lose them both, and you are what your record is, right? And they're two plays away from having lost four games. They are two plays away from losing four games. Yep. So maybe it's a split. The end-of-game time management at Tennessee gave Tennessee the chance for that field goal. Yep. And the analytics on kept keep going for two changed what LSU had to do on the final draft, uh, final uh, drive. I'm sorry. Yep. Twice they went for two, didn't get them. They kicked those, they kicked those field goals. They got third or extra points. They got 33, right? And right. Was there two times they went for two? I was two times and okay. they missed them both. Missed them both. So there is that. But I'm not sure I'm ready to go that route. But this is not it. And it, and it's a weird deal as watching Bryce Young walk off the field. You're like, this is a, I mean, this is an all-time great college football player. My God, what a game. I mean, they're dead without him last night. Yeah. yeah. So many great plays, such a likable player, so much fun to watch. And it's like, wow, it's over for him. I mean, he's not going to be a starting QB to win the national title. And it, it kind of one of those things like it's it's rare a guy has this big of an impact on multiple seasons. It's kind of like the centerpiece of the sport for two seasons. And he didn't go win a title. And he's playing at Bama. It's not like, well, Johnny Manziel came along at, you know, somewhere else. It's like, wow. So that was kind of like, I kind of felt bad for him at the end. He's walking off and he just saw the the sheer disappointment of like, God, I did everything here. It's not going to happen. So I'm not quite ready to go on that. Now, to Ross's point, yeah, to me, this is the statement game from Kelly. We're going to be good. It's back. Let's go. 
you know, I think er, er, any doubts are over. He should do really well in recruiting going forward in the state of Louisiana. I'm sure there was a million recruits there from the South. Just the day before, they land Colin Hurley, who is going to be, in, in, who's a kid from Florida who just reclassified to, to, to the 2024 class. So he'll be a high school senior next fall and he'll be rated one of the top couple quarterbacks in the country. That's a huge get. Like when you're going into Florida and taking one of a player out of there that certainly Georgia, Alabama, Florida, Florida, all those teams wanted, that's a big step. So future extremely bright on LSU. Now let's get to this playoff bit because it'll lead into the game Pat was at. Or do you have more thoughts on this, Ross, on this game? Uh, you know, I would tell a little bit. I w- I've been here for a few days and um, Thursday I went to the Brian Kelly radio show and uh I talked to him after the after the show, and man, he he was really confident. I just remember coming away thinking, man, that was weird. I was like, like it was like I just a two minute conversation during a break of the radio show, but I was thinking that was just really weird to be like so confident, you know, going into a game against Alabama. But he said things like, look, you know, they got they have some holes, you know, and and they've been exposed a little this year, and they're undisciplined, and you know, they had nine penalties last night, so he. Uh, he he was feeling it. He was feeling confident, and obviously the call at the end. He he certainly was feeling confident. I think there's a little vindication, if you will. You know, he spent a lot of the off season. I visited them in March, and there was a lot of off season, as you mentioned off the top, Dan. You know, the the accent and the dancing videos in the recruiting game, and some of the stories that had come out in recruiting of him, and uh, you know, being in Louisiana and how different it is and weird for him as a fit and everybody's saying hey you know he just left for the money and being the first Notre Dame to coach to to leave voluntarily in 100 years you know there's just a lot of critics you know and and a couple of his staff members had told me that it really got to them maybe not as much to him but I'm sure you know he knew about it he was aware of all the critics and stuff and and it felt like that was a kind of a punchback from from him last night and in the bigger picture of recruiting, you know, you made a good point. Uh, last night was insane on the sideline. Uh, I don't know that I've ever seen more recruits on the sideline of a game. Uh, and it was like, it had to be 75, 100. I mean, it was wild. I mean, to the bitter end, two hours after the game, Brian Kelly's walking off the field from a post-game radio hit, like two hours after the ending. Nobody's left in the stadium except for this kid who was obviously a recruit and Brian Kelly put his arm around him. They walked in the locker room together. But um, it, huge for recruiting. That that game, there's a lot of people there, a lot of big names there. All right, so we put this as our 14 teams with a shot at the title, t- shot at the playoff. I think we lost for sure one yesterday in uh, Illinois. So maybe we're down to 13. I have to reanalyze, but I think that's the only one we lost for sure yesterday, although Clemson and Carolina, North Carolina could be lost too. Uh, let, we'll, let's get to that later uh, as we, we work through that. Bama's done unless LSU blows its last two games and then Bama wins out. They could still actually think right. make, could they make it or no? Yeah, they need them. They need two losses yeah. by LSU. So they Bama's two, they, done. Yeah. Yeah. LSU only I, has two more SEC games. So they have to lose them both. It's at Arkansas right. and at Texas A&M, you know, <laughs> combined like, uh, I don't know, what, eight or seven or yeah. eight and eight and 11 or something record. So the corpse of the Aggies. <laughs> and Arkansas has lost of Liberty. 
So core, should, corpse, yeah. Shouldn't, yeah, the corpse of the corpse. <laughs> they not going well. So probably not. Bama, you know, like Bama's dead, but eh, hold on now, right? Like they get back in and beat Georgia and they're like, hey, look at our two losses, right? I don't know. LSU has two losses. Can they get in if they beat Georgia? They would uh, win the SEC. Very hard to see how that isn't the case. That said, here we are with Georgia. That doesn't look like anyone's going to beat them. Now, Pat, you were over there. They controlled, uh, came out the gate against uh, Tennessee, dominated them early. I think what we said last week, like best gift Kirby Smart could have had this year was uh, this week was saying, hey, they don't even think we guys win eight straight games and they don't think you're number one after winning the title. The, who are these Tennessee guys? They just they did blitz them early. What was the scene like in Sanford Stadium? And are your ears still hurting? Yes, they are. There's that, you know, open air press box there, which is phenomenal. And it was just it it was painful, literally painful listening to the crowd at times, especially like in the third quarter when they were just whipping up a frenzy and just flying in on blitzes at poor Hendon Hooker. That's when it was like, oh my gosh, this is complete mayhem. And the decibel meter meter on the scoreboard, you never know, those things could be complete bunk. But it was like 132 decibels. I looked it up, like jet engine takeoff is like 130. So, I mean, it was unbelievable. I asked Stetson Bennett, who has, of course, been there for almost every home game in Georgia history uh, because he's that old. He, he (laughs) He said it was the loudest he'd ever heard. Somebody asked Kirby, and Kirby's like, well, how? what's more deafening than deafening? Does it really matter? You reach a point where it doesn't matter. But a lot of false Another starts. thing, yeah, well, honestly, and here's what I was thinking, again, about what we have talked about, about the best teams wanting to have quarterfinals at home in the playoff. Not just comfort and getting recruits in there, but literal home field advantage. Sure. Seven pre-snap penalties on Tennessee, and not only that – when they weren't false starting, they were slower off the snap. And so they're getting beat in pass protection. And and Kirby Smart made that point. The, the point two tenths of a second that you get uh, can matter. So I mean, the real tangible reasons you can win a game at home and probably would rather play a game at home if you're a good team in a playoff setting as opposed to a more artificial setting. Anyway, long story short, totally dominant performance, by far the best team in the country right now, right? I mean, I don't think there's a whole lot of arguing that. They were, they hit big plays on offense. uh, And part of that was Tennessee's defensive secondary had some busts and wasn't very good. But they hit the plays. They they hit the open receivers. They got guys open. They ran the ball really effectively in the first half. Second half, Kirby channeled his old Nick Saban self, you know, and just said, "Ah, starting to rain, we're just going to run the ball. We'll just tuck it in and we'll take this victory. Tennessee had a great season, but they weren't ready for this. Not a complete team the way Georgia is. Georgia, they're, you know, find a weakness, go ahead and try to exploit it. I think that uh, unless something really, really crazy happens, they're going to be your number one playoff seed come December. Well, the next, I mean, they've got LSU maybe in Atlanta. That's really it. Or maybe probably LSU, LSU controls its fate. I guess Ole Miss, like I said, Ole Miss could get there too, maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, um, it, it could. It, but there, there's a better chance of Ole Miss getting there probably than Alabama in a lot of ways because right. Ole Miss would, yeah, would... would uh, only need one uh, loss. By you only need one LSU. loss from LSU, right. right. Yeah. right. They'd have to win right. out, of course, which means beating Alabama this coming week. All right, so what happens to Tennessee? Are we on a spot 
much to the excitement of the rest of the country, where we only get one SEC team in? <laughs> or what is Tennessee's argument going to be at 11 and 1? And what help does it need? You know, it's it. This is this is the tough. This is the tough part. Quickly, this is why home field advantage would be great in the future playoffs because Tennessee would lose this game and lose something substantial. Right. Like yeah. right now they're out, yeah. but in the future, right. well, they're still getting in. And if you're playing these things a lot of neutral site game, it's like no. If you got to get back in there, you may have to come back through Georgia. Right. Home field mm-hmm. advantage has to be uh, is a huge reward, as you mentioned, but. What do you think of Tennessee's chances here? They got beat soundly. The game I I said on on race for the case I got it wrong, but I thought they had backdoor cover written all over them, and then you know they didn't pull it off, but they got beat soundly in this game. It was not as close as the score. You know what is right. what is Tennessee's? It's great season, great momentum, awesome for Josh Heupel. They end up eleven and one, phenomenal season, but. Can they get in again, and can they get a rematch with Georgia, which is that where they would probably be the four? If you look at how it could line up, I mean, they, you know, they probably need well, they put in probably they need Georgia to to be, you know to beat LSU uh, in the in the championship game, and if Georgia beats LSU, especially if Georgia beats LSU handily and, and pulls away as being the clear number one team in the country, which I think right now everybody would say it is. Uh, but if it continues to do that in, you know, especially if it throttles LSU in the SEC championship game, you know, it just gives more to that that game um, uh, that Tennessee played against against Georgia. And I think, I mean, I would be, you know, kind of surprised uh, in a lot of ways if Georgia beats LSU, especially if it, it if it beats LSU handily in the SEC championship game in Tennessee doesn't get in it, you know I, I obviously they need some things some things to happen here and there but like I, I think it's it's setting up for it to happen not <laughs> I know nobody wants it to happen it's setting up for it to happen and then of course it's there's there's option B to this which is LSU upsetting George in the SC championship game becoming the first two loss CFP team in Georgia at that point SEC would definitely have two team in two teams in at that point for sure would have two teams in I would think with Georgia and in LSU. So, but obviously Tennessee needs some things to happen, right? They, they need, um, you know, what they need, they need TCU probably to to take a loss at some point, you know, already the PAC 12 champion will have a loss. So that's, that's going to help them a little bit, but they do, they need, they would need some things to kind of go their way. They don't necessarily control their own destiny, so to speak. Tennessee does not. And uh, we're going to get to Notre Dame Clemson because that's equally Pat, you had something on that. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, I just, uh, I mean, Tennessee, to me, goes to the head of the one-loss class. Their one loss is yeah. 14 points, and I agree it was not that close, but 14 points to the best team. Oregon lost to that same team by 46. So yeah. they're going to be ahead of Oregon, and Oregon is the best one-loss team resume-wise in the Pac-12. Somebody's getting a loss between Ohio State and Michigan. Mm-hmm. How would that team measure up at 11-1 against Tennessee if you tease it out and they both win the rest of their games? The TCU, TCU factors. If, so if you get undefeated Georgia, say you get all right, undefeated Michigan, then you've got one loss Ohio State, one loss Tennessee. Maybe, or you do or you don't have an undefeated TCU. You would have those three. If, if TCU is undefeated, you probably have those three for two spots. Yeah. Oregon could maybe make an argument, but I said I think Tennessee is ahead 
of Oregon right now. And then we'll it see hurts how it them plays that they actually out. had a common opponent, right? It actually hurts. Yeah. It hurts Oregon. Yeah. They have a common opponent that you can judge by. And that was on a neutral field. Well, you know, neutral, quote, <laughs> <I'm> quote. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't all that neutral, I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is, so I want to get to this. We're going to get to Clemson, Notre Dame, because I think that does eliminate the, the ACC or puts them in a yeah. really hard spot. And that was yeah. an incredible night. Yep. The Michigan-Ohio State game, though, they're barreling to this, you know, 11-0, 11-0. And Ohio State survived that, you know, you can look at that, that, game against Northwestern. They didn't play a great game, but it was so windy that they could, you know, like you could only move the ball when they had the wind. Pat Fitzgerald was amazing, <laughs> amazing coach. He like pretty much controlled the first half by just grinding. He's grinding clock when he doesn't have the wind. And then he's running tempo when he does. And hmm. I mean, and, it, and it's not that that's not an obvious strategy and they did a little Ohio state too, but like to be able to do that with a one win team and get your guys to actually pull it off. <laughs> you know, like you're a good coach. They, they got no yeah. players. But Michigan, uh, Michigan struggled with Rutgers in the first half, but Michigan could go to Ohio State, 11-0, and lose on the proverbial last second field goal, right? And you can look at their wins, and they got Nebraska and Illinois. Like, they have pretty much pummeled everybody. The only game that was close was, I mean, I guess the next closest game Maryland. is Iowa. Maryland. Well, Maryland was, Maryland. and I don't know. Game. I watched some of that. I don't recall a moment where I really was like, oh, Maryland's going to beat them. I mean, they're dominating people. Now, their mistake was they played zero in the non-conference, and they'd feel yeah. a lot better with their case. But everyone talks about two losses in the SEC. What if it's two losses in, in the Big Ten? I mean, one loss. I'm sorry, two teams in the SEC. What if it's two in the Big Ten? And that could complicate a lot of things mm -hmm. because Michigan, they, they're good. And it's like, well, do we want to put Michigan in and rematch last year's Georgia blowout? <laughs> or do we want to put Tennessee in and rematch this blowout? <laughs> do we put Oregon in? <laughs> it's like, there are a lot of good teams. And I don't know. I mean, I, don't, I assume if Ohio State loses at home, maybe they don't get that benefit, but maybe they do. So I think that's a, a wild card there in that, that huge game the day after uh, – uh, Thanksgiving, and as my uh, friend Nathan Knapp, who listens to the podcast and is a Michigan fan, he says they should just cancel the Big Ten championship game because the West sucks. <laughs> right, you're going to get it's going to uh, be a bad uh, game that the winner doesn't get State. much out of. Yeah, yeah, right. It actually lowers all their values, right? Yeah, Probably. right. Yeah, like it's Illinois a great example got beat while they're eliminating divisions. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Illinois got beat by Michigan State is minus ten guys, yeah. <laughs> and and it wasn't that <laughs> right. close. So, I mean, like, this is a joke. So, but whatever. So, it's kind of survive and advance thing for Michigan and o Michigan, Ohio State. I mean, they very well could be two and they could be ranked two, three, right, this week. Pat? Yeah. 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 I would expect that they will be in whatever order you want to put them. And then, yeah, that's, I, I, I mean, I, I could very easily see it where you have an 11 and one second best team in the Big Ten and an 11 and one second best team in the SEC. And then what else do you have? You're going to have Georgia. And if TCU runs it, then then you, then it gets real interesting. This they're undefeated in. TCU. I, they should be in if they're 13 and 0. They got to be. Yeah. They'd be number three. They're going to leave them out again. <laughs> They'd be number no. three. So you'd have Georgia yeah. one. So, let's say Ohio State wins. Yeah, for yeah. sake of this argument, they're two. T 
TCU wins their three. And now you have an S eleven and one Pac twelve champion. Four one loss teams, right? You could have Clemson, you could have Oregon, you could have Yeah, you could uh, have Clemson Ohio, or UNC or Michigan yep. and Tennessee. That yeah. is a tricky yeah. little debate that could that's be getting tough. set up. Yes, it is. And that's, that's if you, if you're Michigan, you don't want that debate because of the non-conference schedule. I was just about to say Michigan's non-conference would uh, I don't want to say eliminate it from that group, but that would be they they would that they, they have sent a message about that, I feel like, and, and that yes, would be that would hurt did. them very much. I mean, in that situation, I would think I would think that it it would probably be Tennessee. Um, but you don't want a rematch. Like who wants a rematch, you know, in the Whatever, wherever they would play, Fiesta or what's the other one, Atlanta. Um, I mean, it, yeah, yeah, Peach, I mean, which I, would be where Georgia would want to play. Yeah, it would want to play, right? I mean, God, Same, we, yeah. yeah, you wouldn't think they'd want a rematch. Almost at that point, I'd be, I'd be almost for Rooting like for, you know, just avoiding a rematch in some way and throwing Oregon in there or something. But then that would be another rematch in the same in place. the same building. So here we are, you know, it's just yeah, yeah or crazy. Michigan from last year, same. Re- I mean, yeah. that's it. So. This is the you know, problem with college want, football, right? You kind of want well, USC Georgia's beating everybody else. that's been in their path. That's the problem. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah USC would be that, that's a good call. USC like running the table from here on out. That would be a good one, and that would be a pretty pretty good resume. I would think that would be a pretty good resume to stack up against Tennessee and Michigan and Clemson and and maybe win that win that argument. Or UCLA. UCLA still sitting there too. Yep. That's true. Yeah. Searching for NBA playoff coverage, we've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. I am going to posit that Clemson's done. And yeah. I think Notre Dame did everybody a favor Saturday night, including probably Clemson. I'm, I know it's probably hard to admit that as a Clemson fan that you didn't want to get to the playoff. But this just isn't a great Clemson team. Nope. This is a good Clemson team, and they're good enough to win the ACC, but this is not – you know what a championship team looks like at Clemson, and this isn't it. Uh, and Alabama they, and Clemson, they, I never missed the playoff, what, right? Both of them at the same time, right? Right. We Alabama never had a playoff, playoff yes. without yeah. both of them. Yeah, it could right. happen. It could happen for the first could time. Could very well happen, yeah. This was not a close loss. They were down 28-zip. I mean, they lost 35-14. Notre Dame just ran the ball down their throat. 263 yards. There was a defensive touchdown, a special team touchdown. It was a squirrel. Uh, William Christopher Sweeney, quote, this was an ass-kicking period. That's what it is. Just flat out got our tails handed to us. That's unfortunate. Worst loss by an unranked opponent since in, in over a decade. Uh, you know, just really bad day, Sweeney said. You know, he has DJ Ungole in there. He's going nowhere. It is windy there, but they can't switch up. He brings in Cade Klubnik to try to spark things. He immediately throws a horrible pick six, one of two pick sixes. It's just, this was just not, this was just not good. I don't know how Clemson comes back from that 
And because Notre Dame could still end up with four losses. They got a trip. They're playing really well. They played a great game. We'll get to the Notre Dame side in a sec. But I don't know how they come back, and I don't know how UNC comes back. I mean, you're looking at either UNC or Clemson saying, hey, we should be in the playoff, and someone going, Notre Dame's got four, lost a Marshall. I mean, come on, right? So I don't, I think yeah. the ACC's cooked. Ross? Yeah, we've kind of forgot about uh, Clemson or uh, North Carolina's been like that. The quietest one-loss team that I can remember in recent memory. We just uh, they kind of sneaked up on us after an, what an early season loss. They've Notre just Dame. kind of been on a roll, and Drake May has just tore it up at quarterback. And yeah, I kind of forgot about him in this. <laughs> kind of forgot about them in in this uh, in this conversation. But uh, you know, Clemson's got Louisville, Miami, in in South Carolina, and then the ACC championship game. So I mean, they need a know, lot to happen. Is what I yeah, would say. Yeah. They, yeah, I, I, I agree. And there, you, you know, I know the committee spends a lot of time. Like if we, if we're comparing four or five one-loss teams, I know this committee has, puts a lot of emphasis on the loss. Like, you know, you. They, in fact, the term "good loss" was used la- this past week during the during the conference call um, with the chairman, uh, the committee chairman. So I know they look at losses and. Obviously, I mean that loss is is uh, going to be to like you said a potential four loss Notre Dame team, uh, in just a drubbing like it just just wasn't close. So if you look at the if you look at the losses, you know they they probably have, I guess one of the one of the worst losses um, right up there with with Oregon. But I know you didn't watch the game, the but it was so. it was not you were yeah. covering LSU at that point, uh, Alabama. Yeah. But it was. The Irish were fired. I mean, it was just dominant. They just dominated the game. Pat, what do you think? Is is the ACC done or just done unless a whole bunch of crap happens? Yeah, done unless a whole bunch of crap happens, but probably done. Notre yeah. Dame eliminated them. Notre Dame single-handedly, yeah. the, the semi-league member eliminated them by beating North Carolina on the road and then trouncing Clemson. And as we said, I mean, this is like the worst Notre Dame team in several years. So if 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 your two best teams have both lost to that team, you're out, I would yeah. think, unless you just have a spate of one-loss teams that become two-loss teams here in the near future. So, yeah, sorry. And I, I will say about Clemson, what I said about Alabama is the window closing. The, the dynasty, the dominance from Clemson. Last year's team... Not very good. This year's team, better record. I'm not sure they're that much better of as a team. You know, I, Clemson was awesome when they had a transformational quarterback. They had a lot of other great players. They had great defensive linemen. They had great receivers. They had great running backs. But when they didn't have, when they don't have Deshaun Watson or Trevor Lawrence, eh, you know, still a good program, but. Are they going to be competing for national championships year in, year out going forward? I don't know. Well, we talk a lot, too, about Dabo Sweeney, the, uh, his staff, and the cohesion they had. Like, you know, wasn't it like multiple years in a row where like literally nobody changed positions on the team or just like one guy did, and he kept his coordinators forever. And we've seen the last, what, three to five years, like that change, or the last three years or so, that change, like he lost, you know, Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott and lost a couple others, uh, Venables, of course. So, you know, that that changeover has led to some bumps, it, it looks like, I mean, or at least coincided with with some bumps. Uh, and uh, you can't, can't overlook that because for so long, uh, I think they were, you know, the kind of the shining example in, in college sports of uh, – uh, kind of a uh, consistency and cohesion on the staff and, and uh, 
they've they've had some they've had some departures and in it whether it led to losses or not directly uh it's definitely coincided with the dip 28 consecutive regular season victories for Notre Dame now in the ACC <laughs> they lost <laughs> maybe that they should join the title league. game really but other yeah. than that yeah Wow. They have Maybe they should join the league. 2016 when they had that like three win season. That is incredible. And they have just dominated this league that they're not even in. <laughs> and, and, and they I don't want to be in that, it. It's like they want them to be in yeah. it and they're the ones doing the dominant kicking kicking everybody's asses and they don't want to be in it. <laughs> they have I say it again and again. They have the best situation in sports. They get yeah. five yeah. league yeah. opponents. They line them up up and down the east coast, down the southeast where they want to recruit. You know, they think this was a huge recruiting day for for Notre Dame. Whew. And oh, they yeah, get the yeah. big game and they beat yeah. them all. And they're like, yeah, we're not in your league. We'll, we'll, we'll trade two more league games, three more league games for Navy and two games out west where we like to recruit in California. It's, it's freaking ideal, right? Um, yep. In our home games, we can get all the kids in the Midwest to drive over to watch. So it's like, it's a perfect situation. They've got a great deal. The thing that scares me about Clemson on this was Notre Dame often has really good offensive lines. And when you have Michael Mayer, who, you know... Is, is tremendous talent uh, blocking. You can have a really good run game, but I mean, they just dominated the line of scrimmage against Clemson and they knew it was coming. They knew it was going to be Diggs or Tyree uh, or Audric or whatever. Drew Pine threw 17 attempts. Like he had 85 yards passing. He's, he's a backup of a backup. You know, he's a nice, nice, did a great job. And threw a great pass to to my uh, to to Mayor and and they did a little celebrate did a did the Conor McGregor billionaires walk but for the most part you know they're going to run it and Notre Dame just ran it at Clemson that is like this D line is not the one that they had a few years ago quickly Marcus Freeman rough start rough start to the season could not get out of there you know uh, lost the first two. Marshall, the Stanford loss, you know, they were the games they could have won and they'd be in great shape, but this isn't a great team, but it was very like, all right, we're going to give him time. He's 35. He's first time head coach, but little scary. This was his night as Brian Kelly's having his down there. This had to be the night that really settled a lot of nerves and got a lot of excitement because the scene in South Bend was they're never going to be as wild in South Bend as they are in Baton Rouge, but for by South Bend standards, really, really good. And I know they had a million recruits up on that thing. Pat, what do you think of uh, Marcus Freeman's moment here? Huge, huge. Uh, he needed it, especially as Brian Kelly has continued to ascend at LSU. I mean, I know there's a lot of Notre Dame fans that are viewing Brian Kelly the same way Oklahoma fans are viewing Lincoln Riley. They're pissed at him, they mm -hmm. hate him, and they want him to flop, and he's not flopping, and it's making them despair. And meanwhile, their guy, their, their replacement guy, isn't doing very well. But now, Marcus Freeman has a flag-planting win. You know, you beat a top-five uh, opponent, a team that was in the, the playoff bracket on the first uh, night of the rankings. That's huge for them. And, and you not just beat them, you beat them down. So... Uh, I, there's no underestimating. I think what just what that does, what you said, Dan, settles nerves, gets people more energized. Like, okay, this is our guy. We're we're going to be fine for the long haul. 
Let's go. If you can back that up by winning at USC at the end of the year, people are going to be really excited coming out of this season. Yeah, we we, talk, we talked about Notre Dame quite a bit on here about the Jekyll and Hyde, right? It's like three or four straight weeks now. We brought it up and you know, wondering who's going to show up. And boy, yeah, the good one the good one showed on uh, on Saturday. It's just, uh, you know, I, I again I've I've talked about probably beating a dead horse here, but it, it's just incredible their schedule. I don't I don't recall. I don't recall losses and wins like this in any team in like recent memory. I, I don't recall a team losing to arguably the worst Power Five team at home, Stanford. Oh, you know, one of the worst teams probably in FBS in uh, in Marshall at home, and then and then beating beating on the road North Carolina, beating on the road uh, a top twenty Syracuse team, you know BYU in a neutral field, and then and then top. 10 Clemson it, it's just uh it's it's wild it's a yo-yo yeah. and it's probably a lot of you know first year coach kind of finding his way sort of thing I remember talking after the Stanford loss I remember talking to athletic director Jack Swarbrick at the CFP meetings and I think it was just a few days after the Stanford loss and I was like what what is going on with the Irish I asked him and um he said you know it, it I asked him about the response. I guess he's seen in in his football coach, and he's he just he wouldn't stop talking about it. You know, he's like his his message to the team, the what he's saying to them, the morale in the team, the culture. It's there. He can see it. I, I see it in the locker room. I see it at practice. Like it's there. The messaging has been great. He's been awesome. And of course, I'm a skeptical journalist thinking like, come on, they just lost to Stanford at home. But lo and behold, they win three straight. In, in some really big games, and clearly the messaging, Jack was right, the messaging is there, and, and he's finding his way in his first year. I mean, there's just like, he's like, he's a charismatic guy. Oh, yeah. And you watch him win the game, and it's it's hard, it's, it's hard not to be like, you know what, good for this guy. Yeah. Like, I don't know, the way he just, the way he interacts with the players, the way he celebrates, he's young, it's like, I got this Notre Dame thing. Maybe I'm ready. Maybe I'm not. Here we go. And it's just, it's, it's some cool visuals. I think this helps keep the recruiting class together, which was a massive concern and, and pushes things forward. We'll see. It's one game. Doesn't mean you're, you know, look, don't give them the, don't give them the Charlie Weiss deal now. And, and <laughs> I want to say, I'll say one more well, real quick thing. There's a lot of, there's a lot of skepticism, not just in media, but in the coaching fraternity to Marcus Freeman's hire. There was a oh, yeah. maybe oh, yeah. jealousy even like oh, yeah. there was sure. a lot of sure. it. Yeah. And I remember asking a few coaches like, golly, why is Notre Dame such a roller coaster? And the first thing a couple of them said was, oh, they're getting out coached. Like there was a lot. There's a lot of like kind of hate for that hire. And um, I it's just been interesting to kind of get that feel among some some coaches out there. And, and now we. You know, I think I think more. I'm sure Marcus hears that and sees that too. Well, uh, yeah, sure. I mean, Swarbrick's invested in Marcus for that reason. Is I mean, he did not wait, and he could have had other very good candidates yeah. for that job. And he's just like, nope, we're going with this guy. We're keeping it in house. He's young. You know, that, he 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 stuck his neck out on this hire. So he's he's very much invested in seeing Freeman succeed. Because as you're right, you're right, Ross. And a lot of people are like, why does this 35 year old guy get this job when there's so many other people that would would take it? So well, that, it's always the case with the coordinator moved up because it's like, yep, then they're just going with it because it's like you got the job because of proximity, 
And, you know, I, I get it as a natural thing when you're sitting around going, I've been grinding. I did this. I'm winning it. I'm winning it. You know, the uh, group of five level. And then, hey, Ryan Davis gets damn uh, Ohio State. Yeah. Marcus yeah. Freeman gets Notre Dame. Lincoln Riley just gets Oklahoma. Like, what are my chances here? And no. so there's always that. But, yeah, there's there was definitely a lot of suspicion. Um, again, one game doesn't do it. But, man, a really good win for the Irish and really good win for uh, Marcus Freeman. Look, elsewhere around the country, TCU rolls on setting up a big game against Texas, which I, you know what? I blew it last week. I was going to, I violated the Vegas rule. Vegas knew <laughs> that they would beat. Te- we Kansas all State. violated it, man. We all did. I'm like, Vegas yeah. knows what am I doing? And I still was mm-hmm. like, no. And yeah, I was all wrong. Texas, Texas got a pulse, Texas. And and you're going to get, yeah, we'll talk about this week, but you know, you're going to get, uh, that's, that's going to be a it, very interesting rivalry. Cause all of a sudden Texas, Texas Christian is the hunted. Mm-hmm. And, and Texas yeah. is the is the upstart. So that a lot of layers there going. too. With Gary Patterson, you know, Gary Patterson designing a defense to maybe upend the best TCU team ever, or at least the best ones since they won the Rose Bowl. Uh, and then out west, everything held form. UCLA, USC, and uh, Oregon won. The Pac-12 uh, race is going well, and uh, so that was all late. I watched a bunch of that late too, but. Um, a lot going on. Michigan State, we mentioned earlier, off the off the deck beats Illinois. Terrible loss for Illinois. Yeah. yeah Brett Bielema that. was complaining that the Michigan State kids kept getting injured and then coming back two plays later to stop the vaunted Illinois tempo <laughs> offense. <laughs> well, Actually, some of them were injured, and like it's just I, I I did not watch the game, so I don't know, but I just find it hysterical that. The Brett B tempo offense is too much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty funny. Uh, (laughs) Didn't have that one on the bingo card. No, the God, the Big Ten West is just a mess. It's (laughs) it's pitiful. It's embarrassing. You know, I mean, Michigan State's having this horrible season and beats. Goes and beats them. To and mold, Michigan I mean, State beats Wisconsin. No, Michigan State spent the week having all their guys suspended. Yeah. Everybody, <laughs> everybody f- trying to go through the tape to see who else should be suspended. You know, there's a dude who like he might have kicked somebody in the shins. He's worried it's going to pop out. <laughs> They're waiting for someone to get arrested. Yeah, right. They lose three defensive starters and they come out to Illinois and in bad kid is like, yeah, we'll just beat him. We, we actually control the game. It's like, okay, yeah. here we go. Yeah, the Big Ten championship game, cancel it and just do something else. Like, just, yeah. I don't know what, you know, play the women's soccer game there or the <laughs> chan- I don't, I, whatever else is going on. Get a volleyball game going and have fill, fill the state. Uh, this, we do not need this. And uh, as as pointed out, you might lose, you might lose computer points by <laughs> by playing. Yeah, them, so. right. I just looked uh, like Sagarin, uh, Illinois is 31st in Sagarin, which is actually a little higher than I thought they might be. But that's that playing the number 31 team in a big, in a neutral field game isn't really going to help your strength of schedule very much. So. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we will, uh, we will see where that goes uh, on that. Dan, you mentioned the, uh, the, the Pac 12 and the, the late night goings on there. And th- I mean, that is an interesting race where you've got three teams still with one loss going forward. And UCLA and USC are going to play each other November 19th. And Utah's playing Oregon the same day. 
So the Pac-12 is going to have one really interesting weekend. But, what you know, are, are these teams really good? I think Oregon is. UCLA, not sure. USC, great offense, but the defense is terrible. And you get this from the defensive coordinator, Alex Grinch, USC. You're 10 weeks into the season, which, as soon as I say that, you want to vomit at some of the issues we have 10 weeks <laughs> into the season. So I don't know if some of these things we can get fixed in 48 hours and 72 hours. Yeah. Uh, I mean, eventually with that defense, you're going to lose another couple of games, I would say. Yeah. All right. One more I want to note, because I'll give them a lot of respect for this. North Carolina State, I've been waiting for them to quit on the season. And yeah. instead, they're 7-2, and two and they just beat Wake Forest in a battle of top 25s. Freshman quarterback MJ Morris has stepped in due to injuries and played a nice game. You know, they still have their shot at their 10-win season. Like, I can't remember the stat. And then they've never had a 10-win season, I don't think. Oh, they have. No, 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 they have. I'm one sure they were. Season. They had maybe. one under Chuck Amato or something. Right. Yeah, they were like 11-2 under Chuck yeah, Amato. Yeah, anyway. So, NC State with a really nice win. I don't, you know, not really going to factor into stuff, but they got BC, Louisville, and at North Carolina, they could end up 10 and 2 heading into a bowl game. But that team, I thought, should have folded the tent a while ago. And they, I gave them up for dead after Devin Leary got hurt. So I am impressed with the way they've bounced back. Credit to Dave Doran. And, and, you know, Dave is uh, kind of a, you hear his name out there for for some other jobs, and uh, I thought maybe losing his quarterback that they would yeah they would tank and hey they might not they might not get better than six wins but here they are and uh, you wonder if his name will get a little louder now for the specifically the one maybe at Nebraska where the interim Mickey Joseph just back to back losses since they're by and not not looking great for him. Well, I, you think of. Dave's a quiet guy. Like, what about Auburn? What about, like, I don't know that he would want to leave, yeah. but he's been there a long time. He's had two bad seasons. Everything else is nine, eight. I mean, he's just a mm. solid coach. He did a really good job at Northern Illinois. Uh, it's, yeah, you get nothing, very little buzz about him. But this is he's too sane for Auburn. But the Midwest <laughs> jobs, yeah, Nebraska. <laughs> I think I think it looks more likely that Jim Leonard's going to keep Wisconsin. He's done yeah. a pretty good job there, but Nebraska won. If I were Nebraska, I'd want to talk to Dave Dorn. I mean, he's from uh, suburbs of Kansas City and Kansas, yep. and uh, yep. went to Drake, yep. and certainly yeah, got makes you a lot know, of sense. did Northern Illinois. I don't know though, but I'm sure NC State's yelling at. Uh, we're not losing this guy, but he's done done well at a place like kind of a prove it coach. I, you just kind of wonder. All right, we uh, don't like to wait to the end of the year to give out the Heisman. We like doing it on a small sample. We don't give out one award at the end of the year. We give it out week to week. It's the Small Sample Heisman on the College Football Inquirer podcast. Who wins your Heisman this week? Pat Forty, do you know? I do. I, and I mean, there's so many to choose from. And I hope I'm going to say this. We haven't discussed this because we don't plan. But uh, I hope somebody is picking someone from a certain American Athletic Conference game. I got it. I got it. Okay. You. I can do that. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Because <laughs> if, we, yeah. if needed. Yep. All right. I am going elsewhere. I'm going to Carson Steele, running back Ball State on Thursday night, I believe, or maybe even Wednesday night. I don't remember. Might have even Tuesday. I don't know. 
this, you know, it was a matching game in the middle of the week. They played Kent State. They beat Kent State. Carson Steele is because he's got the like super long flowing hair. You don't necessarily look at him and say running back, but he had 29 carries, 192 yards, 6.6 yards a carry. He's been a workhorse all year. He's uh, got 221 carries, 1,082 yards for Ball State. But here was the cinching factor. I'm looking this guy up from Center Grove High School in Indiana. I covered a playoff game there once in like 1987. Uh and I'm reading about him, and the last line of his bio sold it to me for him being the small sample Heisman. Owns a pet alligator. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> that is a that is a rather unique thing in Muncie, Indiana. So <laughs> if you got a thousand-yard rusher at Ball State who has a pet alligator, you are my small sample Heisman winner. Thank you very much, Carson Steele. Man, I can't top I can't top the uh the pet alligator, but uh, <laughs> give me uh, Texas running back Bijan Robinson. You know we we we've heard a lot of the hype about him and how good he is, and you know the Heisman race took a pretty big hit this past weekend. You know uh, Bryce Young may have played his way out, Hendon Hooker, although he played well, his numbers weren't great in Alabama. Saddled with another loss, I just it's hard to see Bryce winning it again. And Hendon Hooker kind of took his lumps as well. So you wonder, like, the Heisman race is kind of sort of open, and you've got a guy on, although it's three lost Texas, Bijan Robinson, who's had 100-yard games seven straight weeks, 100-yard rushing games. He had a season high this past Saturday, 209 yards against Kansas State and a big win for Texas. They're 6-3. and three. They host a big game against undefeated TCU. Game day is heading there this weekend. And overall, the season, he's got over 1,100 yards, 200 almost 200 attempts, 12 touchdowns. Guys averaging six yards a carry. So Bijan Robinson, my small sample for this week. All right, well, we got to get to this American game. Absolute nut, nut house game. SMU, 77. Houston, 63. This was a football game. <laughs> Regulation. I mean, let me put it this way. Like, Kelvin Sampson would be aghast if his basketball team ever gave up 77. <laughs> oh, I... I, I I got a stat for you on that, baby. Okay, oh, yeah. There's a good stat. What is it? The last time Houston gave up more than 77 points in anything <laughs> was to SMU in basketball. Last February 9th, <laughs> they lost 85-83. There were only two games all year last year when, when Houston in basketball gave up more yeah. than 77. Kelvin likes it. To, he likes getting after it defensively. Yes. So I am going to give the – I could give the Heisman Trophy here to Tanner Mordecai, their quarterback. I mean, pretty good stat line, 28-37, to 37, 379 yards passing, and nine touchdowns. <laughs> also ran it eight times for 54 and another touchdown. Ten freaking touchdowns. <laughs> A ten-touchdown game. So I could give it to him. However – and uh, I get this stat from uh, uh, Joseph Durat, who is the uh, beat writer at the Houston Chronicle of uh, Houston. Peruna, SMU Shetland pony that we last saw crapping all over the field with George <laughs> W. Bush in the stands. Yes, we did. Peruna with 11 touchdowns. After every touchdown, Peruna the horse, the Shetland pony, <laughs> not Wetzel the horse. <laughs> Peruna has to run from the end of one end zone to the other. Okay, that is the <laughs> that is it. 
Peruna rushed for 1,320 yards <laughs> in a single game. Uh, so my Heisman Trophy, it's Breeders' Cup weekend. You can give it to an animal, right? <laughs> not flight line. It's not Wetzel the horse. It's Peruna, <laughs> the Shetland pony, who treated George W. Bush to a treat and then rushed for 1,320. I mean, you're exhausted at the end of that. <laughs> Extra treats the, for Peruna and a Heisman Trophy, and good job to your quarterback as well. The horse <laughs> on the field was still my favorite uh, moment of moment 2022, of and and right behind it is what happened this past weekend with the choo-choo train of Purdue, which stalled out in the middle of the field in Iowa. The Iowa football team had to run around it. It was unbelievable. That in the <laughs> pony, uh, you can't beat them. It was just freaking incredible, man. I think that train got like a noise violation in Madison, too. <laughs> the police cited, Look, cited it for like, yeah. This is all karma for, coming back on Purdue for the drum lie. The drum situation. You know? uh, yeah, that's uh, all here there. we go. Huh? <laughs> yeah, we may. Yeah, we may have to, Texas is we got a Texas home game. We may get to the we may do a lot on the drum this week. We'll see. We'll see. A lot going on. All right. We've said a lot of mean things. Can we say something nice to end the show? Ross, you got anything nice to say about anybody? Yeah. You know, um, look, Hugh Freeze and uh, Liberty have, uh, you know, taken their we, – we've said there's been a lot of bad said about about both of those two things, and there's reasons why, and there's a pass to both of those, the person in school. But, man, you, you, you got to give it up. Hugh Freeze is – Goes in and beats Arkansas with with the Flames. He was on at one point this year his third string quarterback. They're gonna win. They're gonna win at least eight games uh, for a fourth straight year. Every year he's been there, you know. In eleven years as a head coach, he was had one season where he's had a he's not had a five hundred or or better record. So uh, if he's not gonna get a big boy job after this season, then he's not gonna get a big boy job because. I, you know, he what what he's done there has been amazing. And again, I know there's some issues there, right? There's the NCA issues. There's other off the field issues that happen at Ole Miss. And there's a lot of ads that, you know, won't take that chance on him. But I have a feeling there's going to be some ads and some schools who are hungry enough for wins and who have, you know, and believe that Hugh has has changed and uh, all that that. We'll give him a, a shot, but that's that's why something nice a little bit in there is uh, the Liberty Flames and Hugh Freeze at eight and one, having won at Arkansas. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, it's they they lost one game by one point to Wake Forest, who's yeah. a ranked team, and they went for two. They 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 went for the Brian Kelly play yeah. at the end and lost. Yeah. They missed. I mean, that's the only game they've lost, and that's after having Malik Willis, who was this foundational quarterback. And losing him. So, yeah, Hugh Freeze can coach, period. That's for sure. All right, I'm going to say something nice about a part of the game that I really don't like very much, and that's punting. But we had a we had ourselves a punting weekend. We really did. We had, let's see, Pittsburgh, with the wind and the rain and everything going on, Pittsburgh had a two-yard punt. <laughs> Illinois had a punt where the punter kicked it into the backside of one of his blockers, but not like the guy right in front of him. It was like a guy on the line of scrimmage. He kicked it so low that he just would drill the guy right in the rear end. 
That was a debacle. But then we had some star punting, too. Colin Goodfellow, the Kentucky punter, saved the game against Missouri. They're trying to hold on to a lead late, and they snap the ball over his head, and he has to go running back 30 yards to pick it up. But he picks it up, stays within the tackle box, and gets the kickoff. And so it's roughing the kicker when Missouri runs over him. Whether that rule makes sense or not is neither here nor there. I don't think you should be able to, you know, go run for a free ball and then pick it up and have some sort of protection. It's between the hash marks or the between the tackles even maybe. Right. Yeah. I mean, to me, you know, like if if it's a loose ball out there and you're running around to pick it up, you're, you're a live player. But that's not the rule. So he gets the kickoff, roughing the kicker. They get the ball. They keep possession. They win the game at Missouri. Uh, and then one other And punt. I go 10 and 1 on my locks of the week with that. <laughs> it's a perfect call. What if he drops the punt? You just get to tackle him? No. Yeah. Yeah. Player you do. safety pat. He got carted oh, off. Oh, whatever. What? 10 and 1. 10 and 1. That's the only good thing we can say about our picks, period. Yeah, terrible. I, yeah. I think we should do no more picks. Yeah. Um, yeah. My, hey, hey, my, uh, on that note, Pat, let me interrupt you real quick. Yeah. My lock of the week. Southern Miss minus two. They lost 42 to 14. <laughs> yeah, that's Just how our missed. picks went. This Just week. missed. Yeah. <laughs> Just missed on that one. Um, so, but one other punt, the perfect punt, the greatest punt maybe I've ever seen in the game oh, yeah. that I covered, Georgia against Tennessee. Oh, my God. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Brett Thorson, the, uh, the, the freshman kicker from, of course, Melbourne, Australia, punting hotbed, Australia, Against he blasts one and he kicked that thing and I said to um, Mark Schleba, I was sitting next to him, I said, "Oh my God, that's a Greg Camarda punt, who's now in the NFL, the former Georgia punter." But it was even better than the Greg Camarda punt. It's a bomb, goes like fifty-five in the air, hits around the twenty, and just rolls, 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 rolls sideways out of bounds at the one-yard line, seventy-five mm. yards, no return, coffin corner out of bounds at the one. Best punt ever. Punters. They're athletes. They're athletes. <laughs> All right. I am going to say something nice about Coastal Carolina. And the Sun Belts had a heck of a year. There was the, you know, Georgia Southern beats Nebraska. Marshall beats Notre Dame. Appalachian State, Appalachian State, sorry, beats A&M. There was, didn't they have game day at Appalachian State? It's all this stuff. Sun Belt is absolutely rolling. Huge year. Everything going great. And not a lot of hype on Coastal Carolina. Well, guess who controls the East? Guess who's eight and one? So you guys all have your fun. Here comes daddy. Coastal (laughs) Carolina is going to run this league. Jamie Chadwell, Grayson McCall, they find a way to win, beat App State on a great game on Thursday night. Uh, Way the hell better than the NFL one. Uh, They're eight Mm -hmm. and one, five and one in Sunbelt play. A, a great defensive performance held up to just uh, 88 yards. And uh, once again, the championship is going to run through Coastal Carolina or they're going to win it. And so I uh, give th- this program is amazing on their stability and what they've been able to do and Chadwell and the whole thing. So a uh, lot of hype about the Sun Belt and then all those teams that won big games uh, have faded and coastal is still there. So that is my say something nice. There isn't even like a twist in it where I then say something mean. <laughs> it's a good one. 
Uh, we do know Coastal Carolina President Michael Benson listens to the podcast. That is he does. Not, uh, influencing to say something nice. So he, he, he goes listen. on a walk, he says, every morning, like by the beach. I don't know if that's true, but that's what he says. We'll see if he made it all the way to the end. Yeah, okay, we'll we see will, if he went an hour deep here. Did he go deep? If he did, let us know if you made it all the way to the end. No, and if you're a Coastal fan, don't clue him in. We'll see. We'll see. Had to get all the way to the end. All right, that is our show. It was a wild weekend, great weekend. We'll be back on Tuesday. There'll be more uh, updated uh, rankings, of course, and uh, we'll prep as we go forward. Getting into the getting into the 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 heart of the stretch run, and it's uh, it's pretty fun. So we appreciate everyone listening, sharing us on social media, telling your friends about us, and uh, and uh, subscribing, of course, and leaving nice reviews too. We, warms our heart. We will talk to you later.